episode 190 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot to Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Point. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. I'm Samantha Anderson. I'm actually currently your Miss Arizona United States. I've got a background in education. I've got my master's in Montessori education, but where my heart lies mostly is in the cockpit. Aviation Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is with Sam Anderson. Sam Anderson, you can find her on Instagram under the account SammyGirl1223. She is currently competing for Miss United States. She's representing Arizona, but she also is a future pilot. She's currently in her training for a private pilot license. She has, has soloed already. She has done so many incredible things in aviation and comes from such a strong aviation family. Both her parents are both captains uh, at a major airline. Her her mom is a, was an awesome, awesome lady flying a 747, 787, just being such a role model for Sam and so many women in aviation. Uh, her parents both tragically died in a plane crash. We will talk about that later. They died when she was 17 years old, and two months later, she was competing in a, a pageant and actually came out and won. Sam's story is unbelievable, uh, just what she's had to go through and who she is today, and just the amazing person that she is and the platform that she has. And and just her journey it is an incredible story and something that everyone should listen to and take the time and, and just hear what she has gone through and how she's overcome so much. If you like today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check out our Instagram account at Pilot the Pilot and Pilot's Coffee, the best coffee in the game. I don't want to keep you guys any longer. So any further ado, here's Sam Anderson. Samantha, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to have you on and share your story. But first of all, uh, first of all I want to say huge congrats. Uh, competing in this in this competition is huge and winning your state is even more massive. So it'd be kind of a shame if I didn't start give you a chance to talk about that for a little bit and kind of uh, just share what this organization's about, what the competition's about, and kind of your path to get to where you are today in that. Yeah. Um, so the Miss United States system is a system I've been with for almost 11 years now, ever since I got started in pageantry. And this is my second time holding the Miss Arizona title. The first time was back in 2014, and I was a teen division contestant. And now I'm back here as a Miss. And so I'm really excited. I actually leave on Sunday for Las Vegas, and I will join the rest of the state queens there to compete for the overall title of Miss United States all next week. So I'm really looking forward to meeting all of them. I've actually got some old friends that I've met in previous pageant systems coming with me. So it's going to be nice to reconnect with everybody else and have our first in-person, really good national pageant for the first time in about a year and a half now. That's crazy. I mean, that's so cool. I mean, uh, I feel like at some point in every girl's career, they've thought about being in a pageant or thought about this and the, have the opportunity to have this and go compete for the, uh, the national level has got to be pretty cool and, and something that is just unbelievable. It really is. It's truly an experience unlike any other. And for me to have the opportunity to grace that stage more than once in a lifetime is uh, just such an honor because I know many dream about it and some even do it once. And then for me to get to do it multiple times is awesome. And the Miss United States system has always been like family for me. I've, like I said, I've been with them for nearly a decade now. 
And so one of their mottos is a lot about for, for crown and for community. And I really felt like they have been part of my family. I was practically raised with them. I'm 24 and I got started with it when I was about 13 or 14, I'd say. So they've really been through me through uh, a lot of the developmental years and all those tumultuous teen years. So I, it's nice to come back as a grown woman with a master's degree and all that I've accomplished and grace that stage once more next week. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool to kind of see like the full circle of everything and, and starting there and being uh, and, and winning your, your state in the teen version and then kind of working your way up and coming back and dominating again. So that's really cool. It is fun. It's nice to represent my home state of Arizona. I was born and raised there, although now I actually live in Virginia. And I've held the Miss Virginia title as well for also the Miss United States system. So it's actually kind of cool to get to, to circle back. But I did my degree at Virginia Tech and I actually still live here in Blacksburg because my partner's still here. So we are here until probably December, but we'll see about that. And after that, I've kind of loved being in this small town. I'm ready to move on, but I, it's hard to leave Blacksburg. Yeah, I heard Blacksburg is a pretty cool place. Uh, I want to get a little, dig a little bit more into kind of your aviation story now. So what is the original inspiration or kind of why did you ever even think about aviation? Uh, either whether it be maybe a possible career path or just flying in general. So both my parents are pilots. They, uh, my dad was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam and he was about 19 when he went in and he came out, really didn't have anything else under his belt besides a lot of flight hours. So he went off to college and he met my mom and she was a journalism major and flight lessons are real cheap when you start dating your flight instructors. So my dad taught my mom how to fly 37 years ago, something like that. And uh, after about 16 years of marriage, I showed up and uh, I was practically born with wings. My parents are pilots. My godmother's a pilot. A lot of my mom's group of women, the ISA 21 and the women in aviation group that my mom's been a part of for her whole life. They also uh, have been a big part of my life as well. So I was practically born with wings surrounded by aviation and more specifically women in aviation. So I started flying with my parents as a kid. So actually the first entry in my logbook, because my parents were both CFIs, is actually my flight with my dad. I was probably about eight years old. And that's the first entry in my logbook. And I can t- I have the same logbook. I have not quite uh, gotten all my hours in the end just yet, but I am working on my private right now. So my parents are both my flight instructors and they worked with me for a while. I did my first solo in 2013. About eight months after that, actually, both my parents were killed in a plane crash. It was a a small debonair that went down in Telluride, Colorado. Both my parents were in there and another family friend, Eric, was also in the plane. Um, I was 17 when that happened and it took me eight months, but I got right back into the cockpit and I kept flying and I've really never looked back since then. After they passed away, I won Miss Teen Arizona two months afterwards. And that's when the story really started hitting the news. Uh, So I was a minor at the time, so I couldn't do a whole lot of uh, news stories with them. But I changed my platform from special needs children to pilots for kids. And I started working more in the aviation realm just to kind of carry on my parents' legacy, especially since my mom fought so hard to be taken seriously as a female pilot back in the 80s. And she handed me my pilot's license basically on a silver platter. And I realized that that's not an opportunity that many other young women get to have. So I used my crown to not only carry on my parents' legacy, but also afford opportunities to other young women through women in aviation. So mentorship and scholarship programs and any way I can encourage them to consider a career in a male-dominated field is kind of what I live for. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. And like you said, representation, it's one of the biggest things that any woman pilot can see or any kind of diversity of aviation. If you can see someone that looks like you that's doing what you would like to do, that just goes so far in getting more women or diverse people flying airplanes or being in aviation, whether it's flying, maintenance, whatever. Just seeing someone like you doing what you would want to do just helps in so many ways. Uh, and especially with someone that has a platform like you have and you have the ability to go out and preach this stuff and, and really go show this and social media definitely helps too. Um, when you were, were growing up and your family was all about aviation, like it really just sounds like you pretty much grew up on an airplane and you're always in an airplane. Did you feel any, not necessarily pressure, but was there any like pressure to continue this or did you think about this was going to be your career or was it just kind of everything? It was just like, this is what my family does, but I want to do my own thing. It was for a while. Hey, this is what my parents do, and I think it's cool, but I'm going to do my own thing. Mostly because I was an only child, and my parents were both international pilots for the airlines and leisurely, and they had a lot of time away from home. Uh, we did a lot of things as a family, mostly revolved around travel and aviation. But as a kid, thinking that I wanted to grow up and be a mom one day, I'm thinking, no way, I want this amount of time away from home. It would take its toll on my own family. But now, as a young professional, I'm thinking, never mind. <laughs> I'm going to go out and do my own thing. <laughs> yeah, traveling uh, sounds great. I, I, yeah. I do remember one time being in the car with my dad. And I was at that age where I wanted to know so much more than my peers. And my dad kind of picked up on that. And he goes, well, you stick with me and I'll teach you something your friends won't know. And on that car ride back from Colorado, he taught me the phonetic alphabet. <laughs> and so ever since then, I stuck with my dad because he was going to teach me something that my peers didn't know how to do. And lo and behold, he ended up giving me my license as my CFI. So I'd say I, he held up to his word on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Were you guys known as the aviation family? Were they like, oh, that's the aviation family. They're always going to either be around airplanes, be in airplanes, or traveling by airplane. Absolutely. That's exactly the way it was. I took my first flight when I was about two weeks old, and I had my first passport at three months. So I've never not been in an airplane. And I think 2020, that gap of not being able to travel was the longest I have not been in a plane in my entire life. So it was a, quite a hard year to not get to do a whole lot. But I've, I've always been around airplanes. My family's always been about them, considering it's been my parents, my godmother, even my uncle took a few flights at some point in his life. So uh, yeah, we've always been running around in planes, whether it be a Cessna or a 787. Did you ever think, like, obviously you mentioned that now and uh, being a young professional, you're thinking more about it as a career, and but there was no anything whatsoever up until kind of uh, whenever you became a young professional, you decided to maybe take this as a job or to, or to pursue this even farther than a hobby or just uh, enjoying aviation on the side. It, yeah, it wasn't until the, probably the last two years or so that I've been thinking about doing it as a career and not so much as a hobby, mostly because I've always wanted to be a teacher. I've almost always been in the classroom, whether as an assistant for my mom as a Sunday school teacher when I was a kid, and I've always been in the classroom. And after I got a taste of that, I said, no, maybe I'd rather be in the cockpit. Yeah. And the good thing is, is you can be in a cockpit and you can still be a teacher. So it might be everything you've ever Absolutely. wanted right I mean, there. CFI is an option. Yeah. And people, there's some really cool people that are professional CFIs and they're doing some really cool things. And it's definitely an option to make money. You might not be able to travel as much as being a 787 captain or stuff like that, but uh, it's also something you can do on the side too. It definitely is. And like you said, having an instructor that looks like you and offers a little bit more diversity in what is a very male-dominated field would probably help my students, I'm hoping, to feel more comfortable with it. Like I know that my most of my flight instructors, aside from my mom, have been uh, young men and males, but if I were to become a flight instructor and have some girl walk in with me and just make eye contact across the room and so that she knows that there's another lady here for 
for to hold space for her and to advocate for her and encourage her and whatever I can help her with would be um, a great way, I think, to carry on my mom's legacy specifically. But of course, my parents both are their joint legacy. Yeah, absolutely. Do you mind if I ask a couple of questions about your parents and, and the, the, Not at the all. crash and kind of like what, how it affected you and kind of made you choose what you chose? So obviously, I guess my first question is just getting in an airplane after that, like the the mentality of, or what you had to overcome and kind of the blocks. Can you talk a little bit about going from um, probably the initial fear of never wanting to get an airplane again to actually overcoming that fear and starting to fly and pursuing this? I don't know that I ever had the fear of getting in an airplane again, because I know that what happened was an absolute freak accident. The plane was fine. Obviously no heart attacks or anything else crazy happened when the autopsies came back. It was just a freak accident. And at this point I was just, they they died doing what they loved and they died together. And really, I couldn't imagine one without the other. And I mean, I've, I've grown up in a Christian household my whole life. And I firmly believe that if it was their time, it was their time. So if it wasn't the plane crash, it was going to be something else. And so in, in a weird way, I'm glad that they were together and they did what they loved. And I really couldn't have asked for a more fitting for my parents kind of a thing. Um my pa- I was living in Arizona at the time, and my biological family is in Georgia. My grandparents, aunts and uncles, and all of them are in Georgia, and that's actually where my parents were buried. So it was only about two weeks after my parents died that I got back in a plane again to fly across the country and bury my parents. So there really wasn't any getting back in the cockpit issue, or at least getting back on a plane in general. Getting back in the cockpit took about eight months. And I'm reminded of an old racing legend, Nicky Lauda. He would say that when he gets in the car, he assumes 20% risk. Any more than that, and he won't do it. And the level-headed of that really stuck with me in the movie Rush, at least. (laughs) So every time I get in in the plane, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm attempting to defy gravity with the weight and balances and everything else. I've pre-flighted this plane, and I know my abilities. I know the ones that the whoever else is in the plane with me. And I know that I've uh, taken care of this plane and I've pre-flighted what I needed to do. And I assume 20% risk to defy gravity and fly this plane. Any more than that, weather or any other extenuating circumstance is an additional risk. And I think that's the way I have to think about it. Every time I get in the plane, I know what I'm going to do and I assume the risk. Same as any time anybody else does something. They get in the car or any other mundane daily activity just happens to be that my fairly daily activity is flying. <laughs> and it's very, it's very, yeah, it's exactly how you need to go about this because I feel like a lot of people do forget that just this is inherently dangerous and like bad things do happen, uh, whether it's your fault or whether it's just a freak accident. Like you said, it's like you can never really, uh, you can't predict what's going to happen. And as you fly long enough, you're going to, something's either going to happen to you or someone that you know. Uh, I'm not saying whether they're going to die or not, but just a, a plane crash or a plane malfunction or some kind of emergency in the cockpit. And knowing that that can happen at any time, if you can go into it and have, like, just like you said, with a 20% risk, and then if anything ever feels like it's too much or getting too past your comfort zone, you have all the outs in the world to go land or not even go fly if you don't want to. So, I think that's a, an amazing outlook on this career. Knowing that relatively early on before you get into uh, some jobs, navigating building hours and stuff like that, every being a CFI is such an important cornerstone and building block to your career in aviation. Absolutely. What, um, what has been your favorite moment of aviation, I should say, right now? Like uh, you flying, like looking back on, on all the flights you've ever taken with your parents, do you have an overall one flight that's just like the best moment you've had in aviation? Uh, I have a favorite travel memory, and that was when my mom flew us 
to Beijing. She was the captain, and I believe we flew on a 47, but I couldn't quote you on that one. So I was with my dad in, in the fuselage of the plane. We were hanging out, and I remember my mom coming over the PA saying, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain. And I was over the moon as an eight-year-old, proud of my mom, hearing her voice. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. I'm like, that's my mom. I was just beaming with pride as this tiny little eight-year-old in business class sitting next to my dad trying to get me. He goes, be quiet. We are about to say, be quiet. There's a bunch of businessmen around us. You are being an annoying child. He's like, I don't care. It's my <laughs> but mom. I think in way of, <laughs> yeah, no, I was so thinking proud of her. I think that was so cool. And then flying together as a family. Oh my gosh, we did all sorts of stuff. I don't know that I have any one flying memory that sticks out. Of course, my solo was a great, was a huge moment. Um, my dad cut the, the shirt tail and then I called my grandfather. It was his 95th birthday. And I called him. I said, guess what I just did? And he goes, well, what did you do? And I said, I flew an airplane by myself. And he goes, aren't you like 16? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? Happy 95th birthday, grandpa. Uh, that was a great moment in my flying career. But we did it almost every weekend. I would say two or three times a month, probably. We would all fly together. So when they weren't flying for work, they were coming home, attending whatever function I was in, which was always something. And then we were getting in the cockpit together. Would your parents ever kind of, not bickers out the road, but have like competitions be like, well, I'm a better pilot than your father or your mom. Like, would they ever kind of like say who's a better pilot, who can fly better? Or was it kind of just like they both had, knew that they're both really good? I, I think they both knew that they were both very good and there was never that competitive edge so far as I ever picked up on. I also think that my dad was a little feminist in that way. He he gave my mom her license. He he walked right into it. <laughs> he said, I'm going to give you this. Go right ahead, sweetheart, and go kill it. And uh, he actually stayed as an FO on the Airbus for a little while. He briefly was captain of Bo for Boeing, but um, for the most part, through the majority of my life, he was captain on Airbus, uh, sorry, FO on Air uh, Airbus. And my mom was captain for Boeing, 777, 87, 37, 47, all of them. So I knew right then and there that she was the one that was taking the international flights, the more long hauls, and she was home more often because she got her hours done on those really long flights. And my dad did North America. So technically it is international, but it's airline considered domestic. And that was all the way, always the way that it was. So in my sense of the bigger plane, yeah, my mom was better. But that might just be me trying to, to wedge in the girls are better anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not wrong. Most girls are all better than guys. So <laughs> you are not wrong there. I would be willing to bet if my wife ever started flying, she'd be a better pilot than me. And I'd be like, dang it. You're better than me of everything. It's not fair. <laughs> exactly. That's uh, that's probably what my dad said. He was, well, I'm getting ready to give you your license. I have to learn to back down and just <laughs> worship the ground that you walk on. They had a really lovely, a fun relationship. I mean, they were, like I said, I couldn't imagine one without the other. So even if, uh, one of them didn't get in the plane that day or whatever it was that was going to happen. It would just be so strange. They were together for 16 years before I showed up and I was just barely 17 when they died. So they'd been together for 30 some odd years. And to me, you take your wedding vows and you say, till, till death do us part and they died together. So in my mind, this past summer, we celebrated their 42nd wedding anniversary. Growing up in a, in a, with a family in aviation, especially with two airline pilots being gone and, and maybe missing things, uh, talk about your experience as a kid and how that either affected you or how you loved that. Because a lot of people, even even mentioned earlier before, it's like you want to have a kid, you want to have a family, but you're going to be gone all this time. But your family obviously was involved in aviation and airlines and they were gone. But in my experience, uh, my dad was a pilot, airline, is an airline pilot. He was home for a lot of like weird things that most people weren't home for and was able to come to lunch with me all the time or stuff like that. 
what was your experience like being a kid in an aviation family? Do you feel like you had a normal aviation or normal family life or did you feel like you missed out on things or anything like that? I absolutely did not have a normal family life at all, but I don't think I missed out on anything. I think all, all of it was a blessing in disguise one way or the other. Um, again, we did a lot of things together and they were there for a lot of stuff. I remember being at a dance recital and my parents were planning to come to the Friday show, but we were having a show as well on Thursday. My dad had just landed. He took off his epaulet and he walked in halfway through the dance show. And I said, dad, you were coming tomorrow. Why are you here? And he goes, well, I landed early. I figured I would come. And I just, I thought it was so strange. I said, why are you, you're going to come and see it tomorrow. Why are you going to see the same thing one and a half times? And he goes, well, you're in it. Uh, like it, it seems like such a non, like a no brainer for him. He goes, of course, my daughter is in this. My one and only daughter is in something. I'm going to go watch her do it. He didn't care if he was going to see it again tomorrow with his wife. I thought it was really cool growing up um, because my parents were international pilots. Uh, they were, they were gone a lot. So they had au pairs that came and lived with me as a child. So I called them hermana, which is sister in Spanish. And they spoke Spanish to me. So they lived in the extra bedroom. They drove the extra car and they were my hermana for the time that they lived with us somewhere between six months and two years for some of them. And I'm so in contact with most of them. And so they drove me to school. They cooked me food. We grew up together. Basically, they were at the time the age that I am now. So they were young 20s taking care of this little eight year old and uh, getting to live in a new country. They all came from Spanish speaking countries because my parents were adamant that I grow up bilingual. So it was kind of a cool experience to get to have hermanas that are now all across the world. And I grew up bilingual and I had this extra built in family on top of the fact that when my parents were home, I would often travel with them and we would take my nannies up to, up to Telluride for uh, a ski trip. We would go to Keystone again and go skiing as well. Um, breakfast around Sedona in the Phoenix area was kind of neat as well. So all of these extra experiences were all blessings in disguise. So I never, um, I never felt like I didn't miss out on anything. The only thing I did wish I had was I was an only child for so long. I always wanted a sibling and my mom, again, being a little bit on the older end when she had me, she goes, Oh heck no kid, that's not happening. Um, and then <laughs> it turns out that after my parents passed away and I was guardianship by some family friends because it was only about 10 months until I turned 18. So I didn't feel like they needed to go through the whole adoption process. It was sort of a pseudo adoption slash guardianship process. And I got two younger siblings out of it anyways. My little sister, Elise, is 18. She's a freshman at Arizona State University. And my little brother is 22 and he's an aeronautical engineer, I believe. I love it. That's so cool. So I got my siblings. You did, I got them yeah. in a weird way. Yeah, one way or another, you got some siblings. <laughs> Um, what did your au pairs, uh, think about this aviation family? Uh, obviously I'm guessing they came from families and they didn't have the opportunity to just go up in small airplanes or to go travel all the time. Like you said, this is their first country they've ever been to is going to Arizona to go take care of you. What did they think about all this aviation stuff? I think they thought it was cool. I mean, they probably signed on for a lot more than the average au pair did sign on for, but you know, we had to interview several of them and make sure that they were going to be a good match for our family lifestyle. But I think we were able to afford them a lot of opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise had. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, getting to take them up and travel with us as a family of four, it was also my uh, built-in way to get a sister in my younger years, which was <laughs> kind of fun as well. What's your, uh, looking forward on your future and your career in aviation or just in general, what's kind of, uh, what's your goal for aviation and, and being in your life? Do you want to be an international captain, just like your mom? Do you want to just have it for fun and do some other things or kind of, what are you looking at? 
I've always said that I'm going to have my pilot's license in my back pocket in case I don't want to be a teacher anymore. And that actually might be the case. So I'm actually working in my private right now. Uh, I've got two solos under my belt, but I haven't flown in a little while. So just last, uh, just on Tuesday, actually, I went to the flight school here in Roanoke, Virginia, and I showed them my logbook and they said, here's what we got to do. So as soon as I get back from nationals next week, I'll be right back in the cockpit again. I'm going to finish up my private and probably hold that there for a little, little while. I am considering following my mom's footsteps and flying for United, but that's a little bit uh, down the road. As for now, I'm still uh, substitute teaching for the local schools here, which I really enjoy, and using my pageant platform as an opportunity to encourage other young women and get them started, plant seeds in the children in my classroom even, and make sure that I'm reading them stories like uh, Me in the Sky by Captain Beverly Bass, which is a good friend of my mom, and just making sure that I, I plant seeds and I afford them opportunities and just make them consider something that may, they may not have otherwise considered. I'm also looking into writing a children's book as well for uh, women in male-dominated fields as well as grief in children. I found that that wasn't something that I had a lot of tools on when I was teaching. And not that the grief is the same thing, but I was teaching over 2020 to a classroom of 19, 3, and 4-year-olds. So they had no idea. This is some of their first memories, and half of our faces are covered in that. And in a different way, it's going to affect their development in some way or another. So uh, I'm looking at writing a children's book talking about um, loss, basically, in a palatable way that can be digested by a four-year-old's mind. But I think that'd be a good resource for families and especially for educators to have in their back pockets when, for example, the class pet dies. Maybe you need to have a hard conversation about death. <laughs> it was something that when our class pet died, we had a fish that passed away. And I was like, how am I supposed to talk to a classroom of four-year-olds? about dying. Do I relate it to their grandmother? <laughs> I really wasn't sure how to go about doing it. And so I'm thinking that maybe by writing this book, I will afford teachers and other educators and families an opportunity to have an open and honest conversation about basically what happens next, because you never know when it's going to happen. I was older. I was 17. I was old enough to understand, obviously, what was going on. But when I moved in with my adopted family, my adopted sister was 11. And she was just barely getting a grip on that whole thing, not to mention all the other changes she's about to go through as an 11-year-old girl. So um, something to make it accessible and uh, to open the the floor for conversation within family. Yeah, and grief is a hard thing. It's like you, everyone grieves in their own way. Yeah, you can read as many books as you want, but uh, it's hard to know how you're going to react in a situation like that until you go through it. And uh, different situations probably affect different people in different ways. So, I mean, just having any kind of tool is very helpful. Even at an early age, like you said, a children's book and just kind of understanding, have a general idea of what this is going to, and, and just like, you're going to be okay. Uh, everyone goes through this differently and all that stuff. So I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. And also to honor, however, whichever way somebody is going to process that, because the way I dealt with it is very different. And I'm seven years into my journey of grief because I believe that you're never quite over it or done. You just moved on to the next thing. And so that's a large reason why I'm so open about the death of my parents on social media is I get a lot of DM messages about, oh my gosh, my sister died from this and, and all these other things. And I'm realizing that while somebody might be at the beginning of their journey with grief, I'm I'm still dealing with mine, but maybe I can offer them something and to just honor and respect everyone's process through it because it is going to be different and validating everyone's own experience. Have you had any flights uh, when you've been up there where you felt super connected to your family and your parents at all? Just like where you had this like overwhelming feeling of being surrounded by them? 
I get asked that a lot. And yes, in in a sense of I'm off the ground. So I guess in, in an abstract way of thinking about heaven, yes, I'm somewhat closer <laughs> because I'm off the ground. But truly, I, um, I feel it most when I'm at my grandparents' house in South Georgia, where my dad was raised. There's a pond across the street, and that's where I will sit and catfish and listen to a static radio. And that's where I feel most at home, at least with my Georgia family. I love that. Yeah. So if anyone wants to come find you one day, they can't find you, you know what you're doing. You're, you're out fishing for listening to a static radio. <laughs> that's awesome. Absolutely. That's really it's cool. a very different scene than the average pageant girl of Sam, yeah, but a that little bit. is uh, where I'm home at most. <laughs> that's awesome. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsor, RAA. When it comes to open enrollment, you might be surprised just how many pilots are missing out on many of the benefits offered to them by the airlines. You see, making the right benefit elections during open enrollment can have a significant impact on both your current financial situation and your retirement. And that opportunity only comes around once a year. How can RAA help? Well, they're an airline specialized firm that has dedicated teams of experienced financial advisors serving the major airlines. They know how to guide pilots to maximize their company benefits during open enrollment. At RAA, helping pilots achieve their financial dreams is what they do. And that's why RAA is offering free benefits optimization reviews to help navigate the offerings of your specific airline. Although there's no cost for benefits optimization review, the open enrollment window is brief and appointment schedules fill up quickly. So visit raa.com backslash pilot to pilot to schedule your optimization review today. And now back to the episode. Uh, talk a little about your social media. So my wife, as we mentioned before, she sent me your reels and, and talking about this and kind of, uh, <laughs> your reels are great. And it's just like, just so forward and, and it just shows, you just talk about it. You just go out and you're very open and vocal about it, which I think is just amazing and, 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 and awesome. But how were those real life conversations? Like when, when you go through your reel talking about the, the judges and when you just kind of totally break it down and you say what's happened and how young you are and their faces, like what, how real was that moment? And kind of what, just talk a little bit about that. It was really strange because, like I said, I submitted my paperwork with one platform because I had submitted it several months in advance before the pageant. And I got to the pageant two months after my parents had died. They died in February. This pageant was in April. And I sat in front of the judges and they asked me a question. They said, uh, you know, talk, tell me about your platform. And very matter-of-factly, probably because our brains do a great job of protecting us from trauma, they uh, completely shuts it down and then it lets you process it slowly by slowly and not quite overwhelming the system. So very matter-of-factly, I sat in front of them and I said, well, two months ago, I was orphaned. My parents died in a plane crash, so I've changed my platform to honor them. And these judges, parents themselves, just draws on the ground crying. And then I sat there like, I am not emotionally available enough to help you through why you're crying in my pageant interview. I am 17 and I just laid a whole bunch of information on you. <laughs> and, and then, and, you know, the interview went fine. They collected themselves just long enough for me to ask me one more question. And then my interview was over. And I thought I tanked the interview because I thought, Hey, I had hurt the judges. Obviously they were in tears. I felt bad that I had hurt them. And then I also had to realize that I'm, you know, uh, not responsible for the way that you respond to my information. But then I realized I have to deliver it probably a little bit better <laughs> and less matter of factly <laughs> and realize the gravity of what I'm telling you. So uh, I've been working over the past several years of how to, matter-of-factly, but in a palatable way, tell you what happened without it sounding too abrasive. <laughs> uh, and then also, again, realizing the weight of it, because uh, at the time I was speaking to a room of parents and they felt that through a parent perspective. And I've only felt it through a child's 
perspective and like a sibling way. I have no idea what it's like to realize that I might leave my kid in this world with absolutely no direction. That's a completely different ballgame that I'm not even willing to step up to the plate for. <laughs> so it was a really strange pageant interview, but I ended up walking away with the Miss Teen Arizona crown and, and it was an awesome experience because, and I think it was great because my body did protect me from fully feeling the weight of what had just happened to me. And it was fight or flight. So I made it through my year and I spent a lot of time advocating at the time it was pilots for kids. And I've shifted a little bit from that to women in aviation as more of my mom's friends have come forward and tell, told me different stories about my mom's experience. I felt that women in aviation was a little bit uh, more fitting for me. And that also links nicely in with the women in STEM. And of course, my education background. So I have the opportunity to go into schools and talk to their women in STEM nights and their engineering nights and all this other stuff. So it's opened a lot of extra doors, which is great. Yeah. And talk a little bit about what you've learned and what you can bring forward into your kind of aviation career and aviation world from pageants. Like, uh, it's a very intense and very, it's crazy how well put together these, everything is and the stress you feel in that. Uh, it, it's a, it's, it's very crazy to see. Uh, I've seen it firsthand with my wife, uh, competing as well, but you have been doing this your whole life. So you have had to have learned so much through this. Got to talk a little about what you've learned through that specifically and how you can translate this into real life and getting through either grief or uh, continuing your career in aviation or anything else you've ever wanted to do? Yeah, pageants have been instrumental in in confidence, especially in young women, the opportunity to walk across stage. A, you learn how to walk in heels, which is wildly important. And just <laughs> to stand up straight and walk properly in heels is, is a great skill. Learning how to dress for interviews. Learning how to have any questions thrown at you. And at some point or another, you've got your bullet points of what you'd like to cover and you find a way to work it into the conversation. And it really is just a conversation. I think it served me very well as an educator, as well as um, a member of my sorority executive board. When I was going through sorority recruitment, I had the stamina to get through fast lightning round interviews like that because of my experience in pageantry. And then, of course, in the job search that's been really great knowing exactly how to dress for the interview, how to walk in, how to have a personal statement and an elevator pitch in about 30 seconds. I can tell you a lot of what you need to know about me and hopefully it will um, spark you to ask a few more questions about me. So that's been a great part of how pageantry has helped me grow. And of course, confidence as a young woman. I started when I was 11 and I continued to compete through braces, through puberty, all of the weird years that we just never like to talk about ever again. Um, I was on stage and I was in the spotlight. I was having my photo taken through all of it. So it kind of helped me realize that everyone's going to go through it. There's no use in being upset or picking yourself apart or comparing yourself to somebody else because everyone's journey is going to be a little bit different. And that's the same thing as it goes with grief, as it goes with education, as it goes with anything else. Everyone's journey is going to be a little bit different. So there's no use in comparing yours, your beginning to someone else's middle part. Do you think it helped um, when you did have the tragedy and your parents died that you had something, not take your mind off it, but to keep you going, to keep you busy, to keep everything going and have like a goal at hand to try to win something? Do you think that helped a lot? I think it did. Yep. Uh, when somebody asked me shortly after the accident if I planned to compete and I kind of looked at them like their head was backwards because I thought there's no way I'm not competing. One, I need a sense of normalcy in my life and this pageant is something I've been working for since I got off the stage the previous year. I was ready and I really wanted to win it. The year before, I was first runner-up and I really felt like if I had just gotten a little bit better at some things, I would be ready to go and it would be my year. It turns out that it was one heck of a year, but it was my year to win and that was awesome. 
and it did help keep my mind off of uh, off of my parents for a little while. And then, of course, as soon as I won, everybody started asking questions. And then I realized there's no use in avoiding it. You may as well lean into the skin, kind of, and talk about it. Because if I preach about carrying on my parents' legacy, there's no point in not talking about them and hiding it because that doesn't that seems counterintuitive. Yeah, no, exactly right. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. I mean, it can probably be really hard at times. It can be really great too. So it's got to be a difficult. It, it's got to have its ups and downs and difficult moments as well. What was the range of emotions going from those two months, uh, from the actual accident to actually winning? Uh, just kind of what was your feeling when you were crowned and you had this all going on? Was it just an a, it's an emotional roller coaster for sure? But talk a little bit about actually winning and kind of the next few moments that went through your mind and your thoughts. Yep. So I mean, as soon as my parents died, they there were so many people in the house families and friends and everybody else that tried to help but didn't know what to do. There were probably 50 to 70 people in my house at any given time trying to sort their paperwork and get dental records and take care of me. They uh, died on February 16th, 2014, which was a Sunday. Monday was President's Day, so I didn't have school. And I absolutely insisted that I go to school on Tuesday because I knew that it was my last day of normal before it hit the news. So I went to school on Tuesday. They didn't let me drive, which makes sense now. But at the time, I was like, you mean to tell me you're going to take away my one freedom? <laughs> All of you people are in my house and I can't drive my car. <laughs> Again, I understand it now from this perspective. But the uh, ornery teenager was like, oh, heck no. Um, so I went to school on Tuesday. Wednesday, they kept me home uh, to help with funeral arrangements and everything else. Thursday, I stayed home. Friday, I went to school again. Saturday, was a memorial service. And Sunday, I was flying to Georgia for a funeral. So it went really quickly that first week to 10 days or so. I got to the pageant. I competed. Friends that I had known for four years previous to then, they were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. You know, tell me everything. I was catching up with the girls. And, you know, they had met my parents for the past four years. And so they were all bummed that, you know, a good friend of their parents wasn't going to be there to see the pageant. And I had competed for four years. My parents never got to see me win. They saw me make top five, top three, first runner up, but they never saw me win. So as soon as that crown was put on my head, I thought, <laughs> well, dang, I kind of wish they couldn't see me win. So every time I compete now, it's, it's as if in some way they are still there with me and watching me as I earn these successes, but also knowing that they're the ones that let me do it in the first place. I got a flyer in the mail for a pageant. And I had to beg my mom to let me do it, even though she was in pageants in Georgia when she was a teenager as well, although she never told me about it because she didn't want to be that mom that made her kid do the pageant system. And she has a Miss Congeniality trophy from the Miss Georgia Teenager pageant in 1975. And my dad is proud as heck of that trophy. And he kept bragging about my mom. He's like, your mom is just so beautiful. And she was so nice. And she earned this Miss Congeniality trophy. And he just bragged on and on and on about her because, well, frankly, she was kind of the best. <laughs> and he knew it. And so um, it just turns out that when I won Miss Teen Arizona two months after they died, I was also honored enough to receive the Miss Congeniality uh, Award that year as well. So it was kind of fun having having that memory and that connection with my mom, knowing that somebody, her peers had also recognized her as Miss Congeniality, and I had that same opportunity. That's amazing. That is so cool. Uh, I'm sure they were so proud of you and they're just so happy to see you going after your dreams, uh, whether it's aviation, whether it was teaching, whether whatever is it, whatever it could be, just you going after something, setting a goal and doing it. I'm sure that they're just, uh, just, just 
so pumped and so just looking down and just so proud of who you are and who you became. So it's it's amazing to to hear this and just see the things that you've overcome and how you you haven't. I mean, I'm sure it was not as easy as what it can sound like and and talking about it and me kind of generalizing it, but it's just. It's so incredible to see where you've come from and how you've overcome the adversity and just continued to, to to try to live your life. And like you said, go to school the next day, try to have some normal things in your life and just do awesome things and do awesome work and be so successful. It's so cool to see. Thank you. I always knew that my life was going to be a little bit different because, well, my parents were international pilots. That's not it's exactly normal. Everyone says, oh, your parents are pilots. And I was like, yeah. He goes, even your mom? Well, yes, especially my mom. Why do you ask? And it's just through other people. It is a male-dominated field. And so often I would get, oh, yeah, your dad. But your mom? Actually, my mom's a captain. Are you sure? Like, I would go to school for career day for a Halloween spirit week or something, and I would wear my mom's uniform. Four bars on the epaulet. And they would say, are you sure you're not a flight attendant? Oh, like, honey, I think I know what I am, and I know my mother flies at 47, and she's the captain of it, matter of fact. No, she's not a flight attendant. Once again, nothing wrong with it. It's a great career and many people do get their start there and many of my friends are and I've actually considered it myself, but she was too short to be a flight attendant. No way. <laughs> they denied really? her because of her height. She was about 5'2", barely, uh, like barely scraping 5'2", and so she wasn't tall enough to be a flight attendant. She goes, well, fine. I'll put on heels and be a captain of the 47 instead. Yeah, watch this. Yeah, thank you for turning me down because now I'm going to fly the plane. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's one of those things you never know. I mean, obviously, when one door closes, another open. But, you know, she wanted to be a flight attendant so badly. She could never do it. And she goes, fine. I'll do something else. That's so cool. And if you don't let her fly, she'll probably become the CEO of the airline. So <laughs> watch me. Absolutely. And That's most crazy. of the women in my life that are in aviation now actually got their start as flight engineers. Uh, Captain Beverly Bass did it. My godmother did it. I think my mom also did it, but I could be wrong about that. So, I mean, they found a way one way or the other, especially in the early 80s when they weren't quite taken seriously, unfortunately, uh, as women aviators. My mom was denied three jobs before she was finally hired on. And it turns out that both my parents got their start at Eastern Airlines way back in the day when Eastern existed. <laughs> if you could have kind of, I guess, blesses. Um, young girls listening right now that maybe didn't even know this was an option or say uh, pageant girls or anyone that you see, someone you talk to on Sunday when you go fly and meet up with everyone, they're like, you're going to be a pilot. Like, it's so cool. What would be your goal to kind of help girls get in aviation, to make it more accessible, to see more girls do this? What's kind of like your overall goal and what's kind of the actual steps to, to make a difference? Uh, so there are a lot of different chapters through for national organizations like Girls Fly, Women in Aviation, all sorts of different organizations that do exactly what I'm doing. So as a member of them, I'm actually able to um, be a mentor for the, the local women in my area. So I'm a member of the DC chapter of Women in Aviation and Girls Can Fly. And so I get emails from them about different events that we're going to. Uh, so I'll show up and try and be a liaison actually between some of the women that show up as uh, just interest indicators, basically, and then not quite a scary person in a uniform talking at them. Uh, usually, I'll go in regular clothes, but I might also pull up my crown and banner if I'm asked to say a few words or something about that. So just being there and being a somewhat normal-looking, relatable person that they can ask a question to. They might not want to go up to somebody in uniform and, and feel dumb about their question, which, again, as an educator, there's no stupid question. I'm here to answer all of them. <laughs> but just to be somebody that they can relate to and they can look at. And uh, like your wife following me on Instagram, just some random person that had something to say and maybe she felt comfortable to say something. So I'm hoping that uh, I can be accessible to them in that way. So just looking at these organizations and what um, 
what local chapters that they have available would be great. And if it's in the DC area, I'd be happy to be one of their mentors, which is really exciting uh, for me. But then another thing, because I've never had a cheap hobby for crying out loud, I've skied my whole life. I fly and I do pageants. Never had a cheap hobby. <laughs> um, so <laughs> uh, again, flying is a very expensive hobby. And I do think that uh, extending these opportunities to other young women also comes with a financial burden. So offering scholarships and being able to write letters of recommendation, which is what I've done for a couple of young women, for them to obtain scholarships for these things. So making it accessible for them. And again, the educator in me wants to talk about the accessibility of education in general, <laughs> but a very specific niche like this, uh, you know, they can hear about it all day long, but if they don't have the scholarship behind them to do it, um, that's something that I can help out with. And that's also one of the reasons why I've competed for as long as I did. I've competed in the Miss Collegiate USA system this past year, and I earned a scholarship to continue my flight school. So offering those opportunities for other young women is wildly important. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, and one of the last questions I'll ask is just kind of like anyone going through grief right now. I know everyone kind of goes through it in their own way, but what would, what's some kind of like, I don't want to say actionable steps again, but what is something that someone can do to, to, to overcome, to try to continue living their life and, and going after their goals? What would you recommend to someone? Take your time. I was always told that the first year was going to be the hardest because it's the first milestone without them or without whatever it is, the first since this event. And then I was told after that, it'll kind of just get easier. And I don't know that that's true. I think the first year I was in complete shock. I had no idea what I was, what I was doing. I was a junior and senior in high school. I was barely figuring myself out, <laughs> much less how to process something else. And it wasn't until I got to college that I had to realize this is me. This is my life. You share it or you don't. Um, and it got a little bit easier after that, but then it got really easy once other people came to me for questions about their own grief. And they're like, how do I deal with this? And I thought, well, I, I don't know, man, I'm barely going through it myself. I don't know how to help you. And then I realized that's perfectly okay. I, I don't know. And neither do you. And none of us really know. Just take your time with it. However you see fit to process it in your own time is more than okay. And in, in a, uh, making mental health more aware and available and services for that, go see a counselor. Technically, I was orphaned, so the state of Arizona actually mandated that I go to therapy, and your girl was not having it. And it took me a little while after that to go back on my own and process it in my own way and on my own time. So take your time with it and be gentle with yourself and honor your own process. It's the best advice I can give you. And if you need help, uh, I'm happy to help you, but honestly, I don't have all the answers. So if you just want to sit back and ignore it, I'll do that too with you because I think having company and just another friend during this time is more than enough. Definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. Well said. Uh, I have a couple rapid fire aviation theme questions for you. It is uh, all right. just boom, boom, boom. You answer them first thing that comes to your mind as the best that you can as well as you can. Sound good? Okay. All Sounds right. good. What's your favorite airplane? Overall, any airplane ever made. What's your favorite? 747, Queen of the Skies. Obviously, my mom's the captain of it, so why would I not? But I also think that she's glorious. What's something you wish you knew before you got involved in aviation? Oh, my word. <laughs> uh, how to talk to APC. When I first started flying, I flew in a non-controlled airport. And now being at the Roanoke Airport, it is... Um, it's controlled. And I didn't know how to talk to ATC. So the pageant in me is coming through. Like when I'm asked an onstage question and I give my answer, the same customer service pageant voice comes out when I talk to ATC. That's <laughs> Your instructor's like, what are you doing? 
Yeah, I sit up a little bit straighter. I probably print my hair a little bit, and then I say eight zero one seven Papa. <laughs> it cracks them up, and it's like very different human. That's really funny. Uh, who's one person in the industry you'd like to meet most? Oh my word! Uh, I have so many women in aviation role models, but um, I want to say Elaine Harmon. She was one of the WASP pilots, and her granddaughter wrote a book, Final Fight, Final Flight about her experience as one of the first female aviators because she was a pilot in World War II and that was practically unheard of, especially as a lady pilot. And one of her dying wishes was to be buried in Arlington Cemetery. And she was denied because she wasn't considered a member of the military because she was a lady. So to meet her and hear her story would be so cool. But I got the next best thing. I got her granddaughter to sign a book for me and I got to meet her. So that was pretty neat. That's awesome. I don't think I've ever heard that story before. So thanks for telling me that. I'll look into that book. I'll have to read that. It sounds awesome. Yeah, I would recommend. Uh, I think her granddaughter's name is Erin Miller. It's a cool book. I've enjoyed it. Plus, it's a fun history thing. I kind of a I enjoy history, especially the untold stories of, and this is definitely an untold story for sure. What's your favorite overall thing about aviation? If you could choose one thing, what's your favorite? Takeoff. I think it's just so fun and so cool how something is is made to defy gravity. All you got to do is get it up to about sixty five knots and two fingers, and she'll go. She's going, and I think it's absolutely exhilarating. What's your favorite flight you've ever had? Oh, favorite flight. Honestly, I have to say it was the longest flight, probably one of my most miserable. It was 16 hours from LA to Dubai. And it was awful, but it was one of my favorites because it was when my adopted siblings and I really got close. I mean, we've always been close and I've always been close with my sister, but my brother and I butt heads quite a bit. And it was a 16 hour flight. The three of us sitting in a row together and we slept and we chatted and we watched movies and you really have no choice but to hang out with the people next to you and you're stuck on a big metal tube together. And it was just fun. Like we look back at it now as this kind of miserable memory because we were exhausted and jet lagged and all sorts of discombobulated. But it was just fun. And we have that bonding moment to look back on. What's your favorite flight of you actually flying the plane? Probably my solo. My first solo with my parents on the ground and a good friend of mine who was also in flight school with me that uh, my dad was the CFI for him as well. So just knowing that I had cool family and friends on the ground waiting for me. I was praying all the way up and down that taxiway because I was like, there's no way they are going to let me do this. <laughs> like my mom won't even trust me to fly a car by myself. She's a CFI. She should have no problem teaching her kid how to fly, but she said er, how to drive. And she goes, I have no control. When I teach people how to fly, I have my own set of controls. Your dad's going to teach you how to drive. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Uh, let's say you are, uh, let's say this weekend, somehow they don't get you a direct flight and you have a connecting flight or you're going through Charlotte or whatever it is. What's your go-to food for a connection flight? Oh, I actually am going to be flying through Charlotte, funny enough, over the weekend. There you go. And uh, even though I am heading to a national pageant and yes, there is a swimsuit competition, so I will be going to Chick-fil-A. But because there is a swimsuit competition, I'll probably just get myself eliminated from chicken. <laughs> <laughs> that seems the healthiest option. <laughs> Chick-fil-A is the only correct answer, so I'm glad you said that one. Absolutely. Bojangles is pretty good, too, but it's nowhere near Chick-fil-A. Oh, oh heck no. No, Chick-fil-A is blessed by the Lord. <laughs> that's, that's the Lord calories. <laughs> yeah, right. Would you rather fly? Uh, would you rather be a pilot of an Airbus or a Boeing? I'd say Boeing. Well, would you rather fly long trips? So let's say you're, you're, you're doing a lesson and you're 172 and you're doing a very long cross-country, or would you rather just do a takeoff and landings all day? Take off and landing. I'd rather just do touch and go, touch and go. <laughs> What's the biggest win of your aviation career so far? Like your overall favorite memory? 
Or I guess not favorite memory, I but just think, like favorite win, just like best feeling. Uh, best feeling, of course, my solo was one of them, but I think it was getting back in the cockpit eight months after my parents died. I went with my adopted dad, who's also a leisure pilot. He actually works in IT for his day job, but that's how he became good friends with my parents is they bonded over aviation. We all went to the same church together, so we knew each other for a while, but Grant and my dad really got close over the flying thing. So getting back in the cockpit with uh, my adopted dad and knowing that this is my family now, this is the way it's going to go. And um, Grant actually flew Delta Juliet, the the plane that my parents crashed in the day before he flew it on Saturday and my parents flew it on Sunday. And so it's, it's a weird connection, but it's still a connection there. So knowing that this was my new family and I got back in the cockpit with him is, is a memory. And I specifically remember this photo that we took the two of us flying. It was a really nice moment. Did they ever find out what happened to the airplane? What the cause of the accident was? Nope. Uh, there's no cause of the accident. It was just, ugh, so far as I can tell, absolute freak thing. There was uh, nothing discovered in any sort of an investigation. And actually, one of the coolest trips I took was one of the men that did the uh, the search and rescue of my parents. They offered an opportunity for me to come and see the crash site. And it was unlike anything else because I was wanting something from mom and dad, whatever that was going to be. I didn't know what it was. And it, um, they took off at Telluride Airport and they just hit the mountain a little bit to the right of the airport. It's kind of a weirdly placed airport in a plateau in the middle of a valley anyways. Uh, not not my favorite, <laughs> but you know we've taken off and flown there a thousand times before. Why would this be any different? Freak thing, but I went to the crash site and I got to stand. There's actually still a divot in the ground where they made contact for the first time. And I went. Um, spring break in my senior year of high school and because it was they died in february the ground was still covered in snow and they weren't able to clean up all of the pieces of the airplane because it was under the snow so when i went the following spring i was on my hands and knees crawling around and i found all sorts of pieces from that plane i've got an air vent i've got the face of my mom's watch that she was wearing i've got my dad's ipad um windshield pieces batteries from the headset um, I've got the propeller and a trim tab or, um, sorry, an aileron from the plane. So having this mini airplane museum is a really fun connection that I have with my parents. Cause I was searching for something of theirs and I got a good chunk of the plane and it's a really, uh, neat experience to get to see that and know exactly where their last moments were. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't even know what to say, to be honest with you. It's just an incredible, it's just an awful thing that happened. And like, I, I know I said it before, but how you've kind of taken this and how uh, your fight or flight essentially, and how you're choosing to fight every single day and just better yourself and continue to live your life, how either they would want you or how you want to live your life is just amazing. So I think you're an excellent role model for anyone, for woman, guy, whatever it may be to see how you can do whatever you can achieve your goals and dreams and how to handle adversity, how to attack the day and how to win the day over and over and over again. And it's just incredible. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck, whether it's in your aviation career pageant this weekend, just like absolutely kill it. And I hope to see you continue to do amazing things. And uh, whether one day you're flying for United and flying a 787, that'd be pretty cool uh, to kind of share the same cockpit and the same uniform that your mom wore. I think that would be really neat. I actually do have our uniform and I, I put it on for a couple of different videos here or there to show a uh, progression, usually for a reel or something, but I do have our uniform and I, uh, I hold it in very high esteem. <laughs> last, last question is just 
your tips for success for anyone. So say just anyone is listening to this right now to sees you and sees you in a very kind of a prominent role and you have a platform and someone that wants to have a successful life, whether it's aviation, whether it's pageantry, whether it's they want to be in business, what are kind of uh, the three things you live by to, to have a successful life and to set yourself up for success? Well, uh, the three things I live by is um, faith, family, and friends. But the rest of my platform is actually driven by the acronym PLANE. So P stands for plan ahead for your future. L is live in the now. A is accelerate towards your goals. N, navigate turbulence. And E, educate yourself daily. And that's kind of what I use as um, a guiding factor for most of my speeches that I actually give at uh, Women in STEM Nights, as well as anything else. I mean, you got to plan ahead. And live in the now. My parents and I were very big just because we can kind of a family. And that afforded me a lot of great memories so that when their lives were cut short, I still have all these great things to look back on. So uh, live in the now and and make those memories because you never know which one's going to be your last. And of course, accelerate towards your goals. Never stop goal setting, uh, no matter what the adversity might be. Uh, navigate turbulence. There's always going to be turbulence, whether you want it to or not. And so just figure out how to navigate it and get right back on course. And then educate... Um, Educate yourself daily. Of course, as an educator myself, I, I can speak on that in the classroom sense, but you're always growing and learning and changing. So find something new to learn every day, I guess. Yeah, those are great ones. And I, I, I love that. I think it's a, a great platform to have and, and great rules and a great acronym too. Where it, it fits perfectly, right? It really does. Yeah. That worked out nicely. I know, dude. That's awesome. Did that come to you pretty easily or is that kind of a, did it take a while to figure that out? It did take quite some time to figure it out. And I was trying to come up. I mean, it was part of my little elevator speech. How do I put this concisely in a fun way to remember it? So it took me a while to come about it. But now that I've got it, I'm going to stick with it. That's awesome. I love it. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. We'll be debrief for a couple minutes after this. But uh, it was awesome talking to you. I wish you the best of luck. And I hope to, to, to see you put the crown on and win to continue all your dreams and to continue just doing what you love or maybe just get miscongeniality, you know, like whatever it may be. I wish you the best in all your career and anything aviation. I can't help with pageants at all, but anything in aviation, if you have any questions, my DMs are always open and uh, just, just let me know how I can help. Uh, I think it's really cool what you're doing. So I wish you the best of luck in everything. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And you'll have to be sure to tell your wife, uh, thanks for connecting us. Yeah, I will, for <laughs> it's sure. It's been great to, uh, to be in contact with you. Absolutely. Aviation, that is a wrap of episode 190 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, add it to a playlist. Check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot and Pilot's Coffee. I hope you all are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.